Good morning, and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. If you're ever in Uptown Columbus, we invite you to stop by and say hello. We'd love to see you, have you worship with us. We'll make you feel like family. At First Presbyterian, we are family. Learning together, growing together, worshiping together. Please remain standing as we hear the Word, which comes to us this morning in our first lesson from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Let us attend to the wisdom of the Word of God. You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses, and we were by nature children of wrath like everyone else. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love which He loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what He has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Once again, those who are able are invited to stand. Our second lesson is found in the epistles as well. We turn to the Hebrews in the 11th chapter. Listen to God's Word speak to your life. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith our ancestors received approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the Word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain's. Through this, he received approval as righteous, God Himself giving approval to His gifts. He died, but through His faith, He still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken so that he was not to experience death, and he was not found because God had taken him. For it was attested before he was taken away that he had pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would approach him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Would you pray with me, please? O Lord, may the words of my mouth 
May the meditations of all of our hearts be found pleasing in your sight. O Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So today is the second Sunday in our sermon series, Everything Old Has Become New. We launch into a new year looking at those things which are old to see maybe a freshness, a fresh truth come from old doctrine. We're looking at the five solas that were born out of the Reformation, five pillars of not only our Reformed faith, but of the Christian faith. We are saved in no other than Christ alone. We stand on Scripture alone. We are saved by grace alone. We are saved through faith alone and all to the glory of God alone. Last week we considered the first of the solas by grace alone, and that was a very good place to start. Nathan reminded us of the scandalously sweet quality of God's amazing grace. And it is amazing, incomprehensible, that God would love the world, would love us in such a beautiful and free and complete way. And this grace is understood as we experience it in the awesome and costly and generous gift that it is. For God has provided for us our salvation, saved us from our sinful selves, saved us from our sinful state, from a sinful world, by the free and unearned, undeserved, unmerited gift of grace through the life and the death and resurrection of God's only begotten, perfect, precious Son, Jesus Christ. It's John 3.16 says it this way, that God so loved the world that He gave His Son, that is grace, that whosoever should believe in Him, that is faith, might be saved and know eternal life. And so by this gift of grace, we were reminded that we are justified, we are made right, we are put back together, we are reconciled with God in Christ Jesus. And last week, we sat in grace, we tasted grace, we sang about grace, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. We tasted grace at the table, and we sang, "'Tis grace has brought me safe." thus far, and grace will lead me home, and grace is our home. Grace is our nest where we are birthed, where we are nurtured, where we are protected, where we grow, and we sat in that grace. It felt so good, didn't it? It's what it should feel like every week. The worship of God, of abundant grace, We sit in that nest like baby birds. However, that is not where we are meant to stay, is it? The baby birds grow. They are given wings. Wings to fly. Reminds me of the story that Soren Kierkegaard, the Danish theologian, told. And he taught, Soren Kierkegaard taught effectively through stories and parables. And this one says, every Sunday... 
the ducks waddle out of their houses and waddle down Main Street into their duck church. They waddle into the sanctuary. They squat in their proper duck pews, and the duck choir waddles in and takes takes its place. And then the duck minister comes forward and opens the duck Bible and reads to them, Ducks, God has given you wings. With wings you can fly. With wings you can mount up and soar like eagles. No walls can confine you. No fences can hold you. You have wings. God has given you wings to fly. And on those wings you can soar like eagles. And all the ducks in the sanctuary shouted, Amen! And then they all waddled home. To know this grace and to receive it is to live it. Because this grace changes us, it moves us, it transforms us. This grace empowers us to live it. The first part of the sola is the gift of grace. And we say thank you as we receive it. And now the second part, what are we going to do with this gift? That is faith. Robert McAfee Brown explains it this way, the gospel does not say that that we should trust God and God will love you. No, instead the gospel says God already loves you. Trust Him. Faith is not a work that saves us. It is our acknowledgement that we are saved. Faith is not a work that saves us, but faith is the acknowledgement that we are already saved. There is such freedom and power in that. But this does not mean that faith is unimportant or even optional. For we read in our second lesson this morning from Hebrews 11 that says without this faith it is impossible to please God. Although faith is not the cause of God loving us, it is the indispensable means by which we accept and live out the love of God. Faith does not make us right with God. But no one is made right with God without faith. What we are saying is that faith is acknowledging, it is receiving, it is enjoying, and then returning the love that God has first shown to us. Faith is trusting God as we come to know God through the Scriptures in Jesus Christ in relationship with this living God, in a personal relationship with a God who is for us and not against us. Faith is that personal, intimate relationship with the living God. And it means that in that relationship, we are committed to God who has proved His love for us, proved God's self trustworthy in the powerful, loving action of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? 
And we experience this and need to experience it time and time and time again. It's a personal relationship. It's a powerful thing. It's something that frees us to live as faithful men and women. It reminds me of a story of a very faithful woman. She was an elderly lady. She was known for her faith, and in her boldness, she would talk about it. It was, it was just part of her vocabulary. And, and many days, she would stand on her front porch and she would just shout, praise the Lord. And next door to her lived an atheist who would get so angry at her, her proclamations and her demonstrations that he would shout back at her, there ain't no Lord. And hard times set in on the elderly lady and she prayed to God to send her some assistance and she stood on her porch and boldly yet humbly said, praise the Lord, God, I need you. I'm having a hard time. Lord, please send me some groceries. And the next morning, the lady went out on her front porch and there was a bag, a large bag of groceries. And upon seeing it, the woman shouted, praise the Lord. And the neighbor jumped out from behind the bushes and said, aha, I told you there was no Lord. I bought those groceries and put them on your porch. And the lady didn't miss a beat and she started jumping up and down and clapping her hands. And she said, praise the Lord. Not only have you sent me groceries, but you had the devil deliver them. <laughs> what faith. What naivete. Maybe. Maybe not. John Calvin speaks of faith and he puts it this way, faith is a firm and certain knowledge of God's benevolence towards us. Founded upon the trustworthy, freely given promise in Christ, both revealed to our minds and sealed upon our hearts by the Holy Spirit firm and certain knowledge of God's benevolence, revealed to our minds, sealed upon our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So how can we have such a certain and firm knowledge, such a strong faith? How can we be so sure of God's love? How can we get free from the trap of trying to prove our worthiness or justify ourselves by working harder, exhausting ourselves in this effort. But the key is returning is, and, and recognizing that like grace is a gift. It is key to recognize that faith is a gift as well. Paul says you have been saved by grace through faith. And this is a gift. A gift from God so that none of us should boast. Both the grace and the faith are a gift to us. And we cannot give ourselves faith. Our trust in God's love is a work of God's love itself. Revealed to our minds and sealed in our hearts by God's Holy Spirit. But the fact is we cannot give ourselves faith. But that does not mean that we cannot do anything about it. 
Faith is not a, a fate complete. It, it is not some fatalistic existence that we say, oh, well, either we're going to have it or we're not. I want to mention three specific things that we can do to avail ourselves to a life that is growing in faith. First, we must honestly admit that we do not have the faith that we want or we need. Does anybody in here have all the faith that they want or need? Can I see a show of hands? This is the first time I think I've asked a question and nobody raised their hand. Well, that's a great step. Because our doubts, who has doubts? Anybody played with doubts or uncertainties? We all have those, and we need to acknowledge that the doubt and the faith coexist. I love what Frederick Buechner says about doubts when he speaks of faith. He says, doubt is like the ants and the pants of faith that gets it up and keeps it moving. And we acknowledge that we do not have all that we need, and we do have doubts and uncertainties. I love what C.S. Lewis says about faith and doubt. And he refers to each one like being the opposing blades of a pair of scissors. And you need faith and you need doubt so that the implement will work properly. The scissors will function. Faith and doubt go together. And so we acknowledge the faith we do not have or, do, or the, faith that, the faith that we want and need. We do not have it. And so we pray. We pray, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. We pray for faith every day. The second thing that we can do is to put ourselves in situations where we can hear about and experience God's love over and over and over again. Where is that place where we can hear and experience God's love over and over and over again? Where is that place? It's here. And if it's not, it needs to be. It's here. This is where that happens by God's grace. That we are called to be active in a community of faith, the church, the body of Christ, where we express our need for each other. We strengthen each other. We encourage each other. We support each other. We correct each other. We forgive each other. We love each other. In the context of this community of faith, week after week, day after day, for what child, what spouse, what friend among us doesn't need to hear over and over again that they are loved and to experience that love? On my wedding day over 19 years ago, I told my wife, I said, I love you. I am faithful to you. Isn't that enough? I'll tell you it's not. And in relationship, we seek to show it and to say it again and again because you need it and I need it. In the context of the community of faith, it is where we learn and where we grow and where we remember God's love and we see it and we taste it in the sacrament of baptism in the, the gathering around the Lord's table, 
in the confession of our sins and the affirmation of faith, and we say, in Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven. We need that. This is food for our souls. It is here in the context of the community of faith and the church where we study Scripture and we hear the stories again and we draw strength from the witness of God's Word where we hear about Abraham and Sarah who were called to go on a journey. And they did not know their destination when they took their first step and there were no maps, but faith is going on a journey and not knowing where you're going and going anyway. And here we hear stories of Moses and Joshua and Abigail and Esther and their faithfulness. Here we, we read and hear again the story of the four friends whose fifth friend was paralyzed and they put him on a stretcher. They carried him to where they heard Jesus was teaching and healing. And it was so crowded around the door of that house that they would not be deterred. They climbed on the roof. They parted the thatch. They opened up a hole and they lowered their friend at the feet of Jesus. And the Scriptures tell us, and Jesus saw the faith of those four and was moved. Faith is something that we see. And we're reminded of it here in the community of the church and our worship and sharing the stories. And we can recognize and experience and trust God's love everywhere when we first experience it here. We can recognize, experience, and trust God's love everywhere beyond these walls when we first experience it here. And so how is it that we grow in our faith? We admit that we don't have the faith that we want or need, and we pray. And second, we participate regularly in the community of faith. And lastly, we can risk beginning to do what faith requires. Because faith in God is only possible when we live by faith. Our faith must be embodied. Reminds me of the story of the church that was in an urban context and the neighborhood had changed dramatically. And members of the church who were hanging on were, were concerned about what was happening with drugs and prostitution and, and that going on in a house sitting right next door to the church. And so the pastor gathered the officers of the church and he said, we must pray. We must pray that God would remove this from, this, from our church, from our community, from our children. And the, and the officers committed to pray, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed. And one day, the pastor mentioned this endeavor in prayer to a matriarch of the church. Why are these stories of faith always about the matriarchs of the church? And the pastor said to her, we are praying that the Lord would remove this from this community and for our children. Will you pray with us? And the member of the church, she said, yes, I will pray, pastor. And the next day, the house burned to the ground. And the pastor went to her and said, we prayed for weeks and nothing happened and I ask you to pray and the next day this house is gone. What happened? She said, pastor, I just put some feet to my prayers. Now I'm not saying go out and do anything illegal or immoral, but it's in the, it's in the embodiment of, of our faith. There's a connection between Christian faith and the Christian life. It's called doing faith. It's called being obedience. How can we obey God if we do not willingly and thankfully trust God?
We trust, by, we trust God by obeying God. The old hymn says, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Truer words have never been sung, and faith comes with obedience, and without obedience there can be no faith. And we are not saved by good works, but we are saved. But we cannot be saved without good works. Let me close with this. Is there anything in your life that's blocking you from being obedient? Is there any disobedience or willfulness or sin in your life that you have yet to confess that is making you being a person of faith difficult? There's a beautiful illustration in the life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer that I can't get to because of time, but I want to ask you that question. Because Bonhoeffer says, those who obey believe, and those who believe obey. And our scripture this morning from Ephesians has reminded us that we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand to be our way of life. We must do what faith requires. And Jesus tells us that what is required of us, ultimately that we lay down our lives for our friends, and that we rejoice in the power of the Holy Spirit, and we live in response to grace through faith. The Confession of 1967 says, life is a gift to be received with gratitude and a task to be pursued with courage. May God continue to give us grateful and courageous hearts to do what faith requires to His glory. Amen and amen.